Welcome to another great message by Pastor Adrian Wright, lead pastor at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. So we're hitting the pause button today a little bit on 1 Corinthians as we get to the end of chapter 4. And the reason why I want to do that is because I want us to make sure that we haven't missed one of the key points in these first few chapters in the book of 1 Corinthians. And this is the point that Paul is actually trying to bring home to the church in Corinth. And he's trying to show them how when you get this one thing, it unlocks everything else. When you understand this one area, it it brings everything else into perspective and it empowers us to live these God-honoring lives that make a difference in a city as wild as Corinth, as wild as Joburg, as wild as any other city. It allows us to live lives and lead lives that look different. And so that's what I want to talk about today in this message called Nothing But Jesus. Nothing But Jesus. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 2, right? This to me is just a key scripture in this entire book because Paul is actually telling them that this is how the gospel works. This is how change is going to come to your life. This is what our faith is about. And it is such good news to all of us. To everybody that thinks that Christianity is about a religion, it's about following rules, it's about morals, it's about precepts and principles and and protocols. To everybody that thinks that it's about trying harder to be better or fixing yourself, or modifying your behavior, or becoming a better person. Uh, To to everybody who thinks that this is great news, because if you've ever tried that, you'd know what it feels like to fail. If you've ever tried to be a better person, or a good person, or a good enough person, you'll know that we have certain forces within us, sinfulness, and temptation, and desires that are stronger than us, that are stronger than our willpower, that are stronger than our discipline. And yes, we can curb it or modify it or, or, or develop it to a certain extent, but we can never truly be rid of the desires that are inside of us. And this is where the gospel, the message of Jesus, the Bible is good news to people that know that they need help. And uh, just driving over, over here today, um, alongside the road, somebody had built a little wall And on that wall, they wrote something that said, you know, rather than being a part of the problem or a part of of the pollution, be a part of the solution. And I thought that's such a great sentiment, so positive. And yes, we drive past them and think, I want to be a part of the solution. But the question is, do we really have the power to be a part of the solution? The solution to what you're facing, the mistakes that you keep making, that I keep making, Are we our own hope? Are we able to just kind of, you know, gather the strength of our wills and say, let's just do it. Let's just stop doing the things that we don't want to do. And let's just do the things that we want to do. If we had that ability, I think this world would look like a very different place. The very reason why it is a mad world is because we find even within us the desire to do good, but not the ability. So knowing the right thing that to do doesn't give us the ability to do this. And uh, it reminded me of a time when my youngest boy, Eli, um, he was about maybe three or four years old, and um, some friends of ours gave him a chameleon. And to him, this was the greatest gift he had ever received. He loved this chameleon. He wanted to hold this chameleon. He wanted to uh, have the chameleon sleep by the side of his bed. He just wanted to look at this chameleon all of the time. 
And, uh, and so I got him a nice cage for the chameleon and we set it up and we put our lights in it and we put some leaves and things um, and a vine to climb on. It was really a great cage. And the side of the cage was made up of kind of like a wire mesh. And uh, I got home one day and, uh, and my boy had, had been home with the nanny and I saw that there was a big gaping hole in the side of the wire mesh. And the chameleon had now gone missing in the home. And we had to try and track the chameleon down, which fortunately, spoiler alert, we did. And the chameleon was fine. But when I spoke to my boy and I said to him, I told you not to take the chameleon out of the cage. I told you to leave him there until I come home because it was locked. And uh, what he had done is he had taken a big toy airplane and created the hole in order to take the chameleon out. And he looked at me, understanding that what he had done was wrong. And he said to me, Dad, I can't help myself. I'm three. I need somebody to help me. I need somebody to watch me. And I thought it's, it was such an honest moment where he actually realized that even though he knew it was wrong to make a hole in the side of the cage and take the chameleon out, he was too young to control his own impulses and desires to do those things. Now, we might think, yes, as adults, we've grown beyond that. But the truth is, how many things do we do and then regret that we've done them only to be offered the same opportunity and to do it again? And this is the human condition. It's why the world is a broken place. And like my three-year-old son, we need help. We need help. And that help doesn't come from an external place. It doesn't come from rules and laws and, and all these kinds of things. For it to be true change, it must come from the inside. We need to be transformed, not just controlled. And I think that's why people don't like religion, because it's a form of controlling or at least trying or attempting to get people to behave a certain way, which is not what the gospel is about. It's not what the Bible is about. So let's get into it. Uh, in this message, nothing but Jesus. First Corinthians 2 verse 2, Paul says this. He says, for I am determined. This is important to me. This is a decision I've made. This is my goal, I, my focus. I am determined to know nothing among you, nothing, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I'm determined to know nothing but Jesus and him crucified, to focus on who Jesus is, who I am in Christ, and what the cross has done for my life. That's what I'm determined to know among you. Some people think that to be a Christian, and this is the issue that crept in with Corinth, uh, this church in Corinth, is that they thought that to be a Christian meant having special knowledge, having a special form of, of elevated wisdom and, and wanting these steps and these keys and these secrets. A lot of people think that that's what Christianity is about, discovering the secret keys to living a better life, discovering steps, a 12-step program or a three-step program or a five-step program that, that allows you to be better. A lot of people see Christianity in that way, and, uh, and they don't really believe, as a result, that God could use them or bless them. Like, until I fix myself, God isn't able to use me. God isn't able to have me be the one, be on mission. You might be saying, at what point am I going, can I be allowed or am I able to, do I have the ability to be a part of, of what God wants to do in the city of Joburg, what God wants to do through the city of Joburg? Like, is it, is it once I've discovered a certain level of Christianity? Is it once I've grown to a certain point 
And the answer is that even if you gave your life to Jesus three minutes ago, God can use you. God desires to use you. It is precious in God's sight, and God has got a plan for you. So, so a lot of people think that, that God can't really use me, and God can't really bless me. It's interesting to see who Jesus chose to follow him. Because I gotta just be honest with you today and say that he chose people that I would not have chosen. Like if it was me and I was Jesus and I was arriving on the scene in Jerusalem in that day, you know, I'm 30 years old, my ministry is kicking off and I am ready to change some things in that space and in the world. Let me tell you, I would not have picked the people that Jesus chose. You may have looked in the mirror before, I know I have, and looked at yourself and thought, Jesus, are you serious? Did you? seriously mean to pick me because I know that there are a lot of people that would be far more qualified, have a far better standing than I do, and that would surely be more effective than me. If we're honest with ourselves, that's sometimes a mystery why God would choose people like us. If it was me walking into that situation, if I was Jesus, I would first of all stop off at the best universities, the best colleges, the best schools, and I would pick the brightest minds, the ones that can, can know the scriptures and memorize all the different things and, and have you know incredibly intelligent worldviews and conversations and debates. I would pick the brightest minds. I might head over to the temple and pick out a few devoted, talented, religious leaders, you know, people that are pious and that have devoted themselves to studying, you know, different texts and, and have shown that they have the discipline to, to pursue a certain course. So I would have gone to the brightest mind, minds and the most uh, devoted religious scholars. Perhaps I would have stopped off at a palace or two, you know, people of influence, uh, not Instagram influencers, but real influence, real power, some educated high rollers that had tutors from a young age that have power over many people that sway the public opinion. I would have picked some high rollers. I would have picked some educated people from a palace or two. And with this posse of mine, I would have rolled into the dusty streets of Jerusalem in slow motion, dust puffing up on every side. You know, women would be dropping clay pots. Kids would be standing with their mouths open in awe. I would have come to the, the, the middle of that town and everybody would have stopped what they were doing and watched us. And I would have said, right, now who wants to hear me talk? Right? That's kind of how I would have done it. That sounds like a great way to do it. Get the best of the best, roll into town, and, uh, and let's get this ministry going. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus, in fact, Jesus is relatively unknown. Uh, you know, he spends a lot of time in the mountains by himself praying. Uh, and then when it's time to kick off his ministry, he goes to the docks. He goes to the beaches and the spots where the fishermen are mending their nets. And he picks up a couple of fishermen. You know, the last week, these guys had already failed as far as becoming scholars of rabbis or, or disciples of certain rabbis in Jerusalem. They didn't have the aptitude. They didn't have the intelligence. They didn't have the skill. They, they weren't approved as ones who could be religious leaders. And Jesus says, I'm going for the fishermen. I'm going for those that are not so intelligent, perhaps those that are, that are not so successful, those that are unknown, those that have no influence, those that have no power. Those are the guys I'm gonna go and pick. After picking up a few fishermen by the side of, of the sea, uh, he, he heads out uh, to a toll booth and picks up some minimum wage workers, 
right? So minimum, that would be like, where are you going to find, if you're going to build a team of the best people ever, and you're like, you know what, I'm going to go to Checkers or any supermarket store, and I'm just going to pick some people from behind the tills. I'm going to go to some hawkers that are selling little packets of chips by the side of the road. I'm going to pick some of those guys. I'm going to go to, uh, you know, my, the closest corporate building, and I'm going to go fetch the janitor and perhaps somebody who works in accounts, because, you know, you always need somebody from accounts. And, uh, and I'm, just gonna, I'm just gonna put together a group of people that nobody's ever heard of, that have no positions of power, that are minimum wage workers, that are fishermen, they literally smell like fish. These are the people that Jesus picks as his, as his inner circle. The people that Jesus picks as his team, his dream team, his A team, that is going to build the kingdom. And he doesn't even pick a hundred of them. You know, it's kind of like, if you pick just many, 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 you think that after a while, at least some of them had some latent potential. No, Jesus just picks a few. He picks 12. Just 12 of them. Right, now I'm ready to go. I'm ready to do this. And he begins a journey with those 12. I always imagine after Jesus ascended into heaven, he gets into heaven. And, he, you know, the angels are like, well done, Jesus you know, we worship you, you did it, you're, you're faithful, you're the lamb who was slain. So what is your plan to taking this message of the gospel, this thing that you have achieved, this thing that you have done for all of mankind through the ages, what is your plan for, for reaching the world with that message? And Jesus is like, no, I've left, it was 12, now it's 11 guys back there, they're going to do it. And I can imagine the angels just being like, um, Jesus, is there a plan B? Like, did you think this through those fishermen that you picked up in the Middle East? Those guys, that the one guy was in a toll booth, the other guy was there, the other, and you just told them to follow you, and three years later, and you're letting them, you're releasing them with the most important message in the history of the world? And Jesus is like, yeah, my spirit is with them. They're the ones. They are the ones. If Jesus could use them, if God could use them, I want to let you know that even if you have the slightest, I mean, if you have breath in your lungs, God can use you, and God wants to use you, and God will use you. So that's what Jesus does. He says this uh, to his disciples at one point. He says, unless you become like a little child, you can by no means perceive and enter into the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus wasn't talking about being childish. He wasn't talking about remaining immature. He was talking about if you, unless you could have the sincerity of a child. You know, if you tell a child something, they believe it. They have no reason to doubt you. So unless you have that sincere faith and trust like a child who trusts their father or trusts their mother, you won't be able to receive what the kingdom of God has for you. You won't be able to put your faith in Jesus and thereby receive his grace. And so in other words, what, what Paul is saying to the church in Corinth is stop trying to be so clever. Stop trying to be so intelligent. Hey, I just got to stop here. We've, we've got people that come to our church all the time. Well, let me not say all the time. I'd say every now and again. We have people that come to Anchor Church, and it feels like their distinct purpose in being here is to let us know how theologically astute they actually are. They'll come up to me after every single sermon and ask me some random, highfalutin theological question, even argue with me, because they're actually just trying to prove how clever they are. Is that the kind of thing that a child does? Because Jesus said, unless you become like a child, you can't perceive what the gospel is. It's grace. 
And it's the heart of God, and it's people knowing God's love, and it's the cross, and it's a simple message. So stop trying to be so clever and, to, and complicating it and, and, and being puffed up by your own ability to, to learn some things. To be honest, it doesn't matter how astute any of us are theologically. I can promise you now, I have read, watched, and studied theologians that none of us will ever you know, get to. And if God has called you to be a phenomenal theologian, I encourage you in that. But all I'm saying is, is a theology is a passion of mine. Um, it's something I've studied most of my life and have done formal studies in. But it's not the heart of the gospel in as far as, as the knowledge element of, is concerned. And so it really doesn't impress me when somebody knows a lot about God or knows a lot about the Bible or knows a lot about Jesus. It impresses me if they look like him, if they live like him, if they love like him. That impresses me. When I see this, the character of Christ in a person, that to me is, is, is a, a sure sign that they have a relationship with God. And in my own desire for my own life, I'm not longing to be the grandest theologian that can wow people with, with big words. No, I truly hope that in the process of my life, I could become like Jesus, that people will experience the love and the goodness of God and, 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 and the, the heart of God through my life because of the way that God has changed me. I, I, I'm, that's what I would prefer. And I think that's what God would prefer. Not big words, but big hearts. Not, you know, complicated theology, but simple gospel. That's what God wants. And that's what Paul is saying to the church in Corinth. Stop complicating everything, trying to sound so clever, trying to figure everything out. Just be open, be dependent, and trust, because that's the gospel. That's what the message of Jesus is about. It's come to Jesus. Not go and figure, out, figure it out all out with your own intelligence. Come to Jesus. Rely on Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Don't add to Jesus. So Paul says, I am determined to know nothing amongst you except Jesus and him crucified. It's That's the gospel that changes us. That's the gospel that transforms us. That's what empowers us. And that's what we are all about. So, so I want to encourage you in this thought today that everything that we have we have through Jesus. Everything that we have, we have through him. Nothing but Jesus. And I'm going to mention four things. There are many. I could go on for the rest of eternity, but there are four things that we have through Christ, right? So quickly today. Number one is a calling, right? We have a calling. Galatians 1 verse 1 Paul writes this in this letter to the church in Galatia, and he says, this letter is from Paul, an apostle. I was not appointed by any group of people or any human authority, but by Jesus Christ himself and by God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. Your calling is something far deeper than the position a church gives you or the recognition you get from other Christians 
or a job or a task that people ask you to do. That might be a part of the expression of your calling, but the calling that you have is something that God put in you when he was fashioning you in your mother's womb. The Bible says that in, in Psalm 139, it tells us how God knew us before we were even formed in our mother's wombs. And in that moment, he ordained every one of our days before there was one of them. And he imparted to us all the things that he desired for our lives to be. God prepared good works beforehand for each of us that we should walk in them. And so you've got a calling on your life. Every single person watching today that is specifically from the heart of God that's the reason why you're alive. And the greatest pleasure of our lives is to discover that purpose, is to be able to pursue that purpose, is to be able to walk in that will of God for our lives. Every one of your days was ordained by God and you exist because God wanted you to, because God has a plan for you. So God has this purpose for us. He gives us grace to fulfill that and and it's sad to me, therefore, that, you know, so many people live without ever even discovering or thinking about the fact that there must be more to life than this. I remember sitting with two guys uh, in, a, in, a, in a bar after we had played a touch rugby game. And I was just sitting with two of them, and they're friends, they're great guys, um, but not necessarily believers. And as I was sitting with them, we were chatting I asked them, and I just asked them the simple question, do you know what the purpose of your life is? And these were two just very honest guys. They looked at each other, they looked back at me, and they said, no, we don't, we don't know. What, I don't know what the purpose of my life is. But in Christ, because of Jesus, we get to reconnect with our Creator. And in reconnecting with our Creator, we get to connect with the reason the Creator created us. And in that moment, we get to experience the awakening of a call. It's something that stirs on the inside of you. It's something that you cannot shake. It's something that moves you. It's something that's, that's just like a fire. Jeremiah describes it as a fire shut up in my bones that I cannot contain. And if I decide I will no longer walk in what God has called me to do, that fire becomes uh, you know, so intense within me, that fire in my heart becomes like a fire shut up in my bones and I grow weary of holding it in and indeed I cannot. In other words, it's an inner motivation, the voice of God that has called you to be a part of something bigger. A deep knowledge that God has a predetermined task for you to fulfill. It's not a position from man, but a calling from God. And in Christ, when you put your faith in Jesus, you have that calling. Church, that calling is ours. That's why we're on mission in a mad world, because we're saying yes to the deep call of God in our hearts and in our lives. So we have a calling. Number two, strength. Come on, if you're going to pursue that calling, if you're going to get through life, if you're going to walk through uh, the, the, the difficult days and the good days, if you're going to do something meaningful, it is not always going to be easy. We know this. We know this from experience, all of us. And so what does God offer us? He offers us his presence. He offers us his grace. He offers us his strength. It is strength, grace. Paul says, it's not I who worked, but God's grace that was with me. God's presence in our lives, his Holy Spirit gives us the ability to endure hardship. Philippians 4 verse 13, we all know the scripture says, I can do all things through Christ 
who strengthens me. So Jesus strengthens us. Doesn't matter what you're going through. And the context here, which a lot of people, a lot of people put that on posters on their walls and stuff and, you know, stick it up on their Instagram or whatever. But, but the context of that is actually hardship. If you go and read the verses before that, Paul's actually saying, I, I'm, I know what it is to, to suffer. I know what it is to be in lack. I know what it is to be abased. I know what it is to, to be hungry and thirsty. I have suffered these things. And in all things, he also says, I also know what it means to be full and to be rich and to be, you know, to have more than enough. And in both those things, I have learned to be content. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So it's actually speaking about the power of learning how to be content no matter the circumstances. This, this is strength to rise above your circumstances. Whatever we face, even when Paul was facing hardship, God's word to him was, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. How incredible is that? Whatever you're going through today, I want you to know that you have the strength of Jesus with us. And the amazing thing is, is that when we go through those hardships, when we suffer those difficult things, we are often able to grow more. Our perspective broadens. We see more of God. We experience His heart. We discover that all we need is Him, nothing but Jesus. And He gives us the ability to endure. So you have a calling. You have strength in Jesus we then also are able to produce, number three, fruit. We produce fruit. Romans 7 verse 4 says, So my dear brothers and sisters, this is the point. You died to the power of the law. See, it's not religion. It's not morals. It's not just following rules. When you died with Christ. And now you are united. That's the one. You are united with the one who was raised from the dead. You're united with Christ. As a result, three very important words in this verse. As a result of what? A result, as a result of what? As a result of your hard work, as a result of your piety, as a result of your effort, as a result of your long prayers, as a result of your discipline. No, as a result of the fact that you died with Christ, the cross, now you united with him and raised from the dead, we can produce fruit to God. We can produce fruit. Fruit is just, the idea is, is that the essence of the life that is within a tree, that is within a plant, is able to produce something that is of value, that, that honors the life that is in that tree, but also is able to add value to those that eat from the tree. You're now beginning to live beyond yourself. It's not self-preservation. It's not trying to do it on, in your own strength. It's not, it's not trying to see how comfortable you can be, but you're living outwards. You're living from the inside out in a genuine way. And your fruit is to God. It honors God, but it, it serves others. It blesses others. Now we're looking outwards. Now we're really living. Man, if you want to really live, you've got to stop looking at yourself and you've got to look to Jesus, and you've got to, and you've got to start making a, a, a difference in the lives of others. That's true life. We're not measure, life is not measured in how much we get, but in how much we give. And through Jesus, we can give true fruit and make a real difference. This is important because you cannot go to a lemon tree. If there was an, an orchard and you went to the orchard and you found a lemon tree there, and the lemon tree was producing lemons, but you wanted the lemon tree to produce apples, what could you possibly do to get the lemon tree to produce apples? 
right? Would shouting at the lemon tree work? Would beating the lemon tree work? Would pruning the lemon tree work? Would inspiring self-motivation, the lemon tree, would that produce apples? No. The lemon tree doesn't produce lemons because it isn't motivated to produce apples. It produces lemons because lemon, it's what it is. And in the same way, we produce from what we are. We produce from who we are. And so God's process with us is not to shout at you about the fruit that you currently have in the hopes that you would somehow change your fruit. It's to change the essence of who you are. You died to the law. You've been raised in the power of Jesus. You're a new creation in Christ, and therefore you produce a new kind of fruit. And so a change of fruit can only come from a change that is inward, from a change of who you are. Otherwise, all we're doing is that we are producing fruit in our self-effort which is basically the perception of the right kind of fruit. So that would be like walking into a house and finding a fake bowl of fruit and picking that fake fruit up and trying to take a bite out of it and finding out it's polystyrene or whatever they make that stuff out of. It isn't nourishing, it doesn't add value, it doesn't give life, and it leaves a bad taste in your mouth. Now, people that pretend to be Christians or are religious Christians, people will come up and take a bite of the fruit and go, this is is rubbish, this isn't even real. And they discredit the power of the gospel. Why? Because they're not really trusting in the gospel. They're actually trusting in their own ability to be good. Our own goodness is as filthy rags to the Lord. And it tastes like filthy rags to anybody who tries to taste our fruit. But in Christ, now God's doing something real. Now it's something genuine. Now the Holy Spirit is in your life. And he is beginning to transform you. And through that process, bring a fruit that is able to bless others. And people will see your life, experience uh, moments with you and, and your family and your, and your marriage and your, and your friends and those that you work with and those that you're in contact with will begin to testify to the fact that this person has something genuine about them. It's genuine love, it's genuine care, it's genuine heart, and it, and it, and it, it tastes good and it nourishes That's what God wants for us, and that's what we have through Christ, the ability to produce real fruit. Right, number four, final one today, is perfection. Through Christ, we've been perfected. I don't know if you know that, but you're perfect. You're perfect, and I'm not just saying that because Ed Sheeran is saying that. I'm saying that you're perfect because in Christ, you are perfect. Now, you might be looking at your life going, I'm not perfect. I know myself. And then we say, yeah, but nobody's perfect. And a lot of people say, well, nobody's perfect. So this and this and that. And all of those things are true at the same time. So let's look at how, right? Hebrews 13, 20 to 21 says, Now may the God of peace, who brought up, who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, equip you with all you need to do his will. God is going to equip you. May the God of peace, peace between you and God, you've connected with him, give you what you need to do his will. May he complete you through the power of Jesus Christ. May he complete you through Jesus Christ, nothing but Jesus, in every good work that is pleasing to him. In Hebrews 10 verse 14, it says, for by one offering, Jesus himself on the cross, he has perfected forever. You're perfect. Guess what? Anchor Church, you're perfect. And not just, not just for now, but you're forever perfect. 
in the sight of God. He is perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Now that is really interesting because it's saying you're perfect and you're being changed at the same time. Sanctification is that is just that process of transformation, of becoming what God desires for you to be. So you're perfect and you're being changed. But why are you being changed if you're already perfect? Well, our position in Christ is that we are completely made righteous before God. We are 100% holy and perfect and righteous. We are cleansed of all iniquity. We stand before God as, as, as righteous and as whole and as, as perfect. That's who we are. That's the reality. But in this life, we still wrestle. We still have desires. We still have thoughts. We still have temptations. So the process that God applies to our lives is where the Holy Spirit, and the Bible tells us this uh, in 2 Corinthians 3.18, how by the Spirit of God we are transformed from glory to glory as we behold Jesus, as we put our faith in Jesus. So what the Holy Spirit does is that He comes into your life and He slowly begins to transform you so that what you experience matches up to who you really are. So when we sin, it's like spiritual amnesia. The man who sins is like the man who looks at himself in the mirror, goes away, and immediately forgets what he looks like. Sin is spiritual amnesia. But in Christ, we are transformed to become who we already are. And thank God for that. Thank God that he's not done with me. Thank God that he's not done with you. Thank God that we can all be transformed. And what this scripture in Hebrews 13 says is, he, the God of peace, will equip you to do God's will, but also complete you through the power of Jesus so that you may fulfill that good work that is pleasing to him, that you may fulfill your purpose and your call. How amazing is that? You are already perfect. And now we can begin to live out of that reality, trusting God to transform us where we fall short by, uh, you know, where we fall short. And he does this by his grace and by his presence. Finally, 2 Corinthians 2. Verse 14, we'll do 2 Corinthians later on. We're in 1 Corinthians, but this verse is so amazing. Paul writing to the same church, he says, Now thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ. In Jesus, we have victory over all of the brokenness, over the difficulties, over the things that we wrestle with. And through us, not only does he give us the victory and lead us in that victory, but through us, he diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. So not only does God give us victory over all these things, but he uses us. He speaks through us. We literally bring a fragrance to the city of Joburg. We literally bring, bring a smell of, of joy, of righteousness, of, of change. You know, when just before the rain, in fact, it's raining outside right now, and just before the rain, you know, as that rain arrives, um, you know, there's a smell in the air. That freshness, that is the smell that God brings through the church, through us, that we are able to diffuse that knowledge that brings a change to people's lives. So it's not only us through him, it's not only us being able to do these things through Christ, but it's also Christ through us. <laughs> it's also Jesus being able to reach a city through us. That's plan A. There is no plan B. Jesus, how are you going to reach the city of Joburg? The angels asked, maybe. Jesus said, 
through Anchor Church, through those. And they're like, seriously? Anchor Church? We've seen the people in that church. Nothing special, although you're special. Nothing special about those people. Jesus is like, no plan B. That's who I'm going to use to reach the city of Joburg. That's who I'm going to use to influence a nation. That's who I'm going to use to go into the nations. Just those ordinary people that I've filled with my spirit, that I've given a calling, that I've strengthened by my grace, that I'm transforming you know, through my presence in their lives, that I have made perfect in me. They are the ones that are going to produce fruit that will change a city. What an incredible, incredible message. Hey, Corinth, stop trying to be so clever. Stop making it about you. Just trust in Jesus. I am determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's what we have. That's where our faith is. That's what we trust in. And that is what is going to see you not only through 2021, but every year after this, not only through this pandemic, but every other calamity that may come about, every other difficult circumstance. That is the thing that's going to give you a life of meaning and purpose. It's when you know who you are in Christ and when you trust in his grace.